Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Glad to have you joining me from anywhere and everywhere around planet Earth. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Makes sense out of the senseless. If at all possible, find the obvious buried in the absurd. Hold on to your friggin' lug nuts. Time for an overall. Let's do it. Good to be back with you again. And full disclosure, I don't know when you're going to be listening to this. Some people get it right away as soon as I post it, and they listen right out of the gate. Other people, I suppose, three, four, or five days later. Some people a couple years later. Anyway, here at time of recording on the 20th of May, it is 4.52 in the morning in Chicago, and the sun's already coming up. I think in about another 20 minutes, it'll be light and bright out. So I'm coffeeed up. I hope you had a good night's sleep because you're going to need it. And I say that just a little bit tongue-in-cheek. It's just been an interesting week for me. Of course, they're all interesting weeks. It depends on how you look at it. And uh, the ongoing saga that I've talked about is writing this book with and for the uh, former Cub catcher, legendary catcher, Randy Hunley. And so that has uh, morphed into the different phase of the project. And it's always interesting to me and, and very humbling. Like these things take on a life of their own. You know, I only play like one part. I mean, I got to write the book. I get that. But then there's the piece of, you know, he and I have the conversations and it becomes something that's on uh, printed form. Uh, but then it goes into a different deal. And all the little pieces that it takes to pull that off. Uh, actually, Jennifer Weigel and I are going to be doing a writer's workshop online, I think in June, uh, to address a lot of this stuff. Because there are so many different pieces to, to creating a book that uh, for most people... They can write and that's fine, but they'll probably never get published. They don't know the other half, if not three quarters of the equation. So only one part of it is writing the book. Uh, there's the concept, obviously, that comes first, but then there's the actual physical writing of the book. And that has taken just about a year on and off. I don't work on it every day, but it's a lot. And But then comes all the proofreading that has to be done, all the licensing of the images that have to be done. And then the proofreading starts all over again, and that has to be done. And then it goes to layout, and that takes a little bit of time. And then you get all these pieces right, and then creating the actual platform for people to purchase the book. And in our particular case, and the one that uh, I work on all the time, is called Lulu. Easy to remember, L-U-L-U.com, like the singer, Lulu. And and if you don't know who that is, I don't know what we can talk about after that. I mean, before Adele and before Beyonce and before Madonna, there was Lulu. To Sir With Love, ring a bell? I hope it does. Anyway, lulu.com is where I publish most of the books I work on for my clients. And Randy's book will be no exception. And there's a huge reason for that. And I'll get into the rest of the show here shortly, but I just had to blow this out of the, uh, the pipe hole here. Um, I liked when Amazon was a river better than a clearinghouse for all kind of shit. Now, I've bought stuff off Amazon. For years, I resisted it. And then I did something simple. Like, I don't even remember what the first thing was that got me into the hole. But it was here like in nine hours. I'm like, well, that's different. But, you know, in the history of the world, it's always been how do you deliver the goods to people? And that's when you, when you can deliver that quicker, faster, and, you know, seemingly free, which it really isn't, uh, you know, you're going you're gonna to make some money. But anyway, um, Amazon for authors is, in my opinion, is not author friendly, meaning that they're the big dog on the block and they can charge whatever they want or take whatever they want. So, for example, I just mailed out 12 copies of my third book, Phenomenon, Sacred Moments, Messages, Memories, and Other Shit I Can't Explain. I thought it was a pretty good title too. And I mailed out 12 copies yesterday. If those books are sold 
for me at nineteen ninety nine plus like three bucks to ship it, whatever it's four or five bucks. Uh, so you're at twenty five dollars in. If I sold that book on Amazon, and the sh- I don't take, you know, I would never see the the book. It just gets shipped. Um, I get about four bucks per for per copy. And in Lulu, the actual self publishing platform, I get about twelve fifty, almost thirteen dollars. Uh, and then the customer, of course, pays for the shipping. So w- when it comes to authors and people are trying to get their word out in the world, while Amazon is a big name and I get that, that's why I've always said I'm more of a fan of the river than the actual uh, platform that they've built because it just, for authors, it's, it's not good. Unless you're a mega, mega, mega selling author and you don't care about that stuff. And I would put like John Grisham in there and a couple other people uh, who get a huge, you know, million and a half, two million, three million. I don't know what they get as a, a book uh, up front. They get their uh, they get their book advance up front. So um, for them, they don't care about that. But for people that I work with, I really try to steer them in the other direction so that the fruits of their labor actually bear fruit as we go along. So the book will be out in August and um, it's just hard to be, I'm so used to writing, it's now it's hands off. And so it gives my mind other things to deal with and think about. And that's probably what the rest of this show is for the next God knows how long, maybe 20, 25 minutes. So this past week, I went to the chiropractor. It's been about every other month that I've been going. And I'm a little bit new to the whole chiropractic thing. Um, just never saw any need for it, quite frankly. Even though I had aches and pains, I had a couple of people that would go. And they it was kind of a split decision. Some people be like, um, you know, it's the best thing I can do. And I, I'm, I go regularly. And other people are like, well, if, I got, if it's so good, why do we got to keep going back? And it's a money thing. So I'm fortunate that I have health insurance through the Veterans Administration after serving Semper Paratus. And... Uh, uh, you know, glad for it. Always been treated very well at the VA. And about a year ago, they added chiropractic to their list of, um, you know, things that people can choose. Along with acupuncture and yoga. Now, for decades, if not over a century, there's there was a time where, you know, a century ago, I should say, if not a little bit longer, that chiropractic was quackery. I mean, people are like, what the heck are you talking about? As we learn about the human body, this machine that we have, you know, it's all connected somewhere. I, I've often talked on this show about SAID, specific adaptation to impose demands. And that played into some of my, my uh, chiropractic challenges. I'll explain in a second. Uh, but that's where your body adapts to the demand placed on it. Well, that's not just, in my opinion, a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's an emotional thing. Uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a psychological thing. Whatever demand is being placed on you, if you, you will adapt in order to deal with it or not. Some people deal with it better than others. Some don't. So in all of that, um, it's apparent, and I'm you know one of millions, who one of my challenges is because I work so much on a computer. And my computer desk is great. I've had it for years. I, it's all just the way I need it to be. But of course, it's lower than you know my, my chest area. It's, it's hand high, but it's, it's a good height. But naturally, you have to turn your neck to look down. And my neck's had enough problems over the years from football. And adding this new stressor on it actually was um, straightening out the curve in my my neck. And you don't want that straightened out because then you can't turn your head. So when I went to the chiropractor probably six months ago, she gave me this neck block thing. And it's a, it's kind of like a, a elongated pyramid with a kind of a rounded top. Maybe a... I don't know, eight, nine, ten inches long and just high enough for me to lay my neck on. So at night, before I go to sleep, I put my feet up higher than my heart and I put this thing under my neck and I just lay there and stretch for up to 20 minutes. And it has changed my life. I can't even believe this little block of rubber 
uh, that, that that's behind my neck has done so much. When I started going to the chiropractor, I had numbness in my left leg. I thought, this is the kind of shit that happens and you live with until you're, you know, I'll, I'll become like a, you know, I'll have a disability because this was that bad. I couldn't walk on concrete surfaces without my whole left quad basically falling asleep. And then after that, you know, it'd be like numb. And then I could feel a pulse in my leg. And it was like, this. none of this is good. This is not good. And so all the stretching I did and walking did nothing. So seeing the chiropractors, you know, he's got the big chart on the wall. And I have a kinesiology minor. So I know what she's talking about, but I'm not going to, you know, get into it. Meaning I'm not here to teach class. I'm just here to listen. And she's hitting all the right notes and everything connected. And we're learning this more and more. And, you know, if you've ever heard of the placebo effect, that's basically if you're being treated for a disease, for example, and you're being giving medication, another group is giving placebo, which is nothing more than a salt pill uh, or something like that. There's no, no medicine in it and they have results. There must be some sort of connection between how you think about your body and, and your whatever health challenges you have and how that can go. You must play some role. And I think most people don't think that way. They think that, you know, you just go to the doctor, like MD stands for medical deity or something. So, and by the way, in full disclosure, I've turned the microphone on and off four or five times because my throat, even though I'm awake, it's not quite there yet, but I appreciate you uh, bearing with me. So this whole placebo thing started getting in my mind and put that on top of the specific adaptation to impose demands. And there's really something there to look at. Again, how have your... Uh, how have you adapted to the demands and the stressors that life has put on you? And what sort of placebo can you use to push back on that? So in my case, while it's a physical thing, this neck block thing, when I'm laying there, I'm thinking about my neck curvature getting better and my leg getting better and stuff. I'm not just being passive. I'm being part of the process. And so it's been months. And last, about three weeks ago, uh, T and I went to the uh, Kane County State Fair. We love going up there. It's just, you know, it's it's a giant rummage sale is what it is. But you're always picking through stuff, and I'm fascinated at how valuable other people's shit is. You know, I bought a couple things there. I'll tell you, you know, the truth, but I'm just amazed. It's This is everybody else's stuff, and they just, you just resold and resold and resold. But I like walking around there. We have a couple hot dogs, relax, be outside. And um, there was this one building where, where – uh, this huge building, like where all the higher end stuff's at inside. And I'm telling you, to walk on that floor was like someone took a flamethrower to my left buttock and all the way down my left leg to my knee behind my knee. I, I, I couldn't walk. So two weeks ago, we go there and without even thinking, we're moving around, moving around, going from building. And I'm no problems walking around. And I go into this building and I went, we were in there a good 45 minutes before I thought, wait a minute, I don't have any pain in my leg. How is that possible? So when I saw the chiropractor this past week, I had to you know, gush and say, I don't know what you've been doing here. And she goes, no, what have you been doing? Well, I said, I've done the neck block thing and I've done the stretches you said. And I, you know, I go to the gym and I walk and I, I'm, doing, I'm drinking a lot of water. I'm doing things you told me. And she goes, that's all it takes. She goes, well, I'm not going to say everybody's magically cured, but you have to be involved in the process. And we had this quite a discussion about people um, being involved in health issues and health challenges and just kind of being passive in it, as I said, not taking an active role in whatever it is that they need to deal with. And so I was getting ready to leave and, you know, we had a great conversation. She had a couple more stretches and I want you to do this and do this. And she said, so next time, even though she felt my neck and cracked it, she said, next time when you come back, we're going to take another x-ray and see how your neck's doing. 
and she was showing me the curvature in uh, in my neck from now six months ago. And, you know, it's been a long time since I saw my skull. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there, you know, you're looking out of this machine your whole life. And then you get x-rays and you go, really? That's my skull. Those are my teeth way back there. And you get my whole spine and all that stuff. And it, it just was a real kick. I'm not sure why, but that stuff just geeks me up. It's like, you know, like my hands, I've been working out of this carpal tunnel. They're back to almost normal now. And I was sitting there talking to her about it. She goes, well, it's just, we got to manipulate this. We can manipulate this. And she's right. I didn't do enough stretching during the middle of this. And so that's helped a lot. So the little first part takeaway of this program, hopefully, is that, you know, be actively involved in whatever the health challenge it is. I mean, sometimes you got to park your ass on the couch and, you know, wait it out. But there's something to this placebo effect. I've seen it with my daughter. You know, she's on her second kidney transplant. And when she was just a little kid and we knew that she had this kidney problem, I would talk to her 25 times a day and ask her a question. I'd say, Amanda, what are we going to be today? She'd say, positive, my kidney's getting better. Positive, my kidney's growing. And she's just a little kid. So her belief system isn't fully formed yet. She was able to accept what I was giving her as, as this is true, that there's some connection here that she can play a role in how this goes. And when she originally had her kidney removed when she was five, the doctors came in the next day, uh, this whole team of doctors with their clipboards and their bow ties and their white coats. And here's my little five-year-old in the bed with tubes and all this stuff. And they came up and said, well, within a year, she's going to need dialysis and a transplant is imminent. And she, this whole pronouncement, and they just turned on their heels and walked out. And I'm like, happy F you, you know, and, but it was an opportunity to turn to my, my little girl and say, Amanda, we can do what they say, or we can look for something different. And of course she said, how about, she didn't know any, what's what they said meant, but I did. And so that this question thing started up and we'd, I mean, for years I did this. And at one point we moved in 1995 into 96, uh, up to upper Michigan from Chicago. And we went from children's hospital of Chicago, where she would get checked out to, uh, university of, uh, Madison children's hospital, UW Madison. So we'd drive all the way down there. And after a few years of all of this, living in the UP and, and you know, just taking basically supplements to help her keep healthy uh, and asking her those questions one day, never forget this, walked in, they did her whole scan and stuff. And the doctor pulls her mom and I aside and said, what's, uh, what's going on here? And I said, I don't know, what, what do you mean what's going on here? He says, um, Amanda has something that's called compensatory growth in her kidney, which is technically not possible. We see it rarely that the kidney is trying to compensate some way, shape or form for the, the disease that it's dealing with. And they're not regenerative organs like livers are. I'm not telling them anything because I don't know if they would believe it. I felt like reinforcing her belief system was really, really important. And even all the days after, you know, she was five when she had a kidney taken out. She made it to 13, not a year, but almost eight years to um, when she was 13 years old uh, before I, I donated the kidney. And then she made it all the way to 2018, uh, late 2018, before she needed another one. And there's a whole, I don't have time for that whole show, but, you know, all the things have lined up. And a lot of the conversations my daughter and I have around energy and what you do with it, how it works, and how you work with it as opposed to against it, and where you spend your energy on things. So all of that stuff was, was part of my week. And it really got me started one more time about belief systems and what people believe to be true or not true. And 
you know, it's all over. I mean, if you really believe that you can pull a, a groundhog out of the ground, it's going to tell the weather. I mean, okay. Uh, it, I also came across one earlier in the week, which I'd never really thought of before, that when the first railroad trains in the early 19th century were put into service, uh, the, there was this huge widespread fear and belief that the speed that they were going would prove lethal to passengers, that they couldn't get people to get on trains because it went 28 miles an hour. Now think of that, 28 miles an hour. You ever been in the Eisenhower in Chicago, you know, uh, when it's road race season? And I mean, it, you're off to the races. So 28 miles an hour is a crawl. But the belief was um, until about 1829 that humans had never gone that fast. They didn't know what it meant. They didn't know what kind of effect it was going to have on them. So little things like that mold people's belief systems. And then you tend to live out those beliefs. But the, there's a huge difference between believing something and knowing something. So look, if we take the locomotive thing, for example. People didn't know that humans were able to withstand the pressure of going 28 miles an hour back in 1829, 1830. They didn't know that. It was The belief was is that somehow it was going to harm them. Of course, it didn't take long to realize that was BS. So that's a belief that changed into something different because of a knowing. And once they knew nothing was going to happen, 28 miles is like, what? You try and get on a train now at 28 miles an hour, people are yelling at you because you're late. So look at just that one example of how belief systems lock us into things. And then we rarely, rarely break out of those unless life squeezes us out of them. And so that leads me to the next really interesting thing that happened this past week. So when I'm working on projects, whether it be Audible uh, books for clients or print books like this Hundley thing or uh, producing podcasts for people, which I do more and more for, uh, these days I'm up early working as always. So by 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning, you know, my day's almost like half over technically. And I'll take a break, uh, especially Mondays or Tuesdays early in the week. And I'll do, you know, movie and a lunch. I just got to stop looking at the computer and get out of my tech neck problem, which is me bending down, looking at it and look straight up and watch something. And so I tend to wander over to TCM Turner classic movies because there's no commercials and I don't want to get into that energy. And there's always a great movie on here and there. So I ended up watching Inherit the Wind. And I don't know if you've ever heard of this movie or seen it. I've heard of it years ago. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, it's from 1960 and Spencer Tracy's in it. And it's basically um, a fictionalized account of the 1925 Scopes Monkey Trial, which took place between uh, July 10th and 21st, 1925. It resulted in Scope's conviction for teaching Charles Darwin's theory of evolution to high school science class, contrary to a Tennessee state law, John Scope's. And so this movie is a fictionalized account of that, but trying to make the same points. And what it really boils down to was there's a law in the books, so or there was, that, you know, you can't teach evolution. You'll scare people because we have descended from the Almighty. And I'm watching this brilliant film, Spencer Tracy, Frederick March, Gene Kelly, even Harry Morgan as the, uh, as the judge and good old Dick York, but which uh, her husband, uh, Samantha's husband, the first one uh, was John Scopes. And so uh, even though his name was changed in the movie and it goes back and forth, brilliant performances by Spencer Tracy and Frederick March. Now March is Matthew Harrison Brady, and he's the firebrand lawyer who is all about preaching from the Bible. And on the other side, Spencer Tracy plays Harry Drummond. I'm sorry, yeah, is it Henry? Harry? Henry Drummond, um, who was the prosecutor or the, the defense attorney uh, for Scopes. And so they go back and forth. And of course, the dialogue's brilliant and stuff. And that stuff pulls me in. 
And really what it comes down to is free thinking, right? That, that Spencer Tracy's trying to say, look, there's a law in the books, but you're prohibiting people from freedom of speech and free thinking. And if it, when it really boils down to it, how much is a thought worth? And what, what, how does that all work? So I watched this movie and in the film, and I don't know if this was true in real life, that uh, Spencer Tracy and Frederick March, th their characters were actually good friends for a very long time. They just find themselves on opposite sides of a belief. And Spencer Tracy as the defense attorney's belief is that man has uh, free speech and free thought, and you can't regulate that because it never works. And then on the other side of it, of course, uh, Matthew Harrison Brady, played by Frederick March, was saying, look, the Bible's all that matters, and that's the law. And in a state like Tennessee at the time where this actual trial took place, that was how it was. So watch the movie if you get a chance. TCM, if you have it, go watch Inherit the Winds from 1960. Uh, it was quite a thing. So I watched it. I thought, well, you know, here it is again. Here is this, this tug of war and this back and forth and belief versus belief. So finished the movie, and I started thinking about, you know, it gets me thinking about how I imagine all of this playing out. I always think of that song written by uh, Julie Gold, sung by um, the divine Miss M, Bette Midler, from a distance, where God is watching us from a distance, whatever you might think the Almighty is for you, the Creator, watching us from a distance, all this ridiculous back and forth, the chaos that we cause and the harm we put on ourselves and each other, even though we're only here for a very, very short time and it goes on and on and on. So thinking about all that and back and forth and all that stuff, and I've done so many talks on these things and I've written about it from my perspective and, and all that type of stuff. And I've never been a God-fearing man because I don't think you're supposed to fear that which created you. And I think to me, it is both. It is like, um, it's like, you know, most of us live in a this or that world. I think it's a this and that world. I have great friends who are, who are devout Christians. If I looked up the word Christian in the dictionary, if they still printed them, you'd see their pictures in there. And the ones that impress me the most are the ones that say the least, but do the most. And the ones that say the most and do the least, that, that's, how that, that's how that rolls. So for me, I've always been an observer, sit back, look at this. So whatever you're Protestant, Catholic, I don't care. I mean, I really don't. What are you doing in the world to make it better? not talking about it, not passing a law about it. What are you physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally doing to make the world a better place that day that you've been given? That's what I look for. So all of that in mind, finish the movie. Uh, I'm going to go out and wrap up and cut the grass. It's a beautiful day out last week. So I get up the, uh, the new Black & Decker mower, which I bought last year. It's kind of neat because I just plug in the batteries for a while. I don't have to worry about going to the gas station. It's just a lot quieter and just get it done. So I'm out cutting the front grass and I see this guy walking down our street and I'm the last house on the alley. So he's heading my way and I'm thinking, okay, I mean, people don't walk up and down the street very often. So let's keep an eye on that. And I'm cutting the grass, cutting the grass. And finally the guy comes within about 15 feet and I could see he's wearing a big shirt that said, God loves you. And he couldn't be more than 22, 23 years old, long, dark hair, good looking kid, well-dressed this big shirt, God loves you. And he kind of waves at me and I turn the lawnmower off and he says, excuse me, can I talk with you? I said, what would you like to talk about? Are you lost? Do you need direction? He goes, oh, no, 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 no. He goes, you know, I, have you, do you know the word of the Lord? I said, well, the word of the Lord today for me was cut the grass. And he kind of chuckled. And I said, um, what is it that you're looking for? What do you, what do you need from me? 
He said, well, I'd just like to share my faith with you. I said, okay, can I share mine with you? And he just kind of sat back and went, what? Because I don't think people say that back to him, but he might not run into a guy like me every day. And so I said, sure, come on over here. And so we go by our, my porch and I sit on the porch. He stands in the, the walkway and he starts, he opens the book, his their version of the book. I'm not going to get into what denomination this was or what uh, religion this was. And he uh, he opens the book and he starts reading from it to me. And I said, oh, oh, oh. I thought you were going to share your faith with me. He goes, well, this is what it is. I said, well, you didn't write that. And he, st- <laughs> look, and I don't do this stuff on purpose to get a reaction. This is just how I talk. I said, did you write that? He goes, well, well, no. I said, well, who wrote that? He said, well, God did. I said, well, you mean God physically took a pencil and wrote this? Thing? Well, of course not. I said, well, then who wrote that? And he just had this blank look on his face. And he said, well, the, the people that God ordained to write. I said, well, so that's their faith, right? So you've adopted their faith. Is that what you're saying? Well, I suppose you could look at that way. I said, well, I kind of think that's how it is. I said, so that's what you believe to be true. What's in this book that you didn't write? He said, well, yeah. I said, well, how long have you been following this way? He said, oh, most of my life. I said, well, how old are you? He's 24. I said, most of your life, so like for four years? He goes, no, about nine years, 10 years now. I said, since you were 14 then. You've been following this way. I said, he says, yes, I have. I said, so what are your experiences of God based on reading that book? He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you're reading from a book to me about something that you've been doing for 10 years. And it's a belief system that you ascribe to and you've adopted as your own, even though you didn't write it, you didn't experience it in the beginning. How do you experience God in your life? You thought I'd be asking him to split the atom again. It just, what do you mean? I said, well, what I'm asking you is how do you personally experience God, the creator, the omnipresent, the omniverse, you can call it whatever you want. How do you experience that in your life? He said, well, I experienced it through the word. Oh, okay, well, which word exactly? Clearly, I think he wished he hadn't asked me a question about talking about God and all that stuff. And so I said, I just... I said, I'm not here to put you on your heels. And I said, I got to give you a lot of, you know, thumbs up for the courage to walk up and down and knock on people's doors or, or catch a guy like me cutting the grass. I said, but I've been a long time on this planet and I experienced God in so many different ways. It never came out of a book. And again, what do you want me to do here? Learn Chinese? I mean, he, he it just is not registering. And so what that meant to me was that the same kind of thing that happened in that Inherit the Wind movie of a belief system that is just imparted on someone without testing it. Like, oh my gosh, a train's going to go 28 miles an hour. We're going to explode. It was a belief that when it became a knowing, the belief evaporated. So my knowings of the way that I've experienced grace in my life and what I call the creator, the universe, you call it a Fred, I don't care what you call it. And I don't think the universe cares what you call it. But so many different ways. My daughter is a perfect example of giving her a question that came from somewhere higher than my brain and that it helped her for so long that to this day, when she's having a bad day here and there for various reasons, I'll ask her the question, how are you going to be today? And she'll immediately come back and her energy changes. And because of her energy changes, her physiology changes. So this young man, you know, I kind of tried to make him feel better towards the end of this short but very interesting conversation. I said, listen, brother, I said, I have shoes in my office that are older than you. So you got to be 
take that in consideration. You're coming to me after reading a book for 10 years from the time you were 14. I don't know what was the pivot point for you to get into this particular way of believing of yourself and how things work and how life works. I said, so I have so many more miles on you that you coming to me from a book means nothing to me. But when you come back and tell me how you've experienced God in your life, what you've done to pay for the rent that you take up on this planet, how did you pay for that? What did you do with your life that you've been given, this miracle that you, that you have, as opposed to walking around and reading from a book and trying to recruit me into something you've never really experienced except through a printed page? And so before I let this young man go on his way, and I think he was more than ready to take a hike, uh, I said, let me just ask you a question in the ways that I can understand it. By this point, he's kind of tired of me asking questions. He was supposed to be asking me the questions of redemption. And I said, do you have a cell phone? He goes, yes. I said, is it expensive? He said, I, uh, yeah. Like, well, how much did that, did that cost you? And he said, oh, I don't know, $450. I said, really? I said, so first off, my first car cost $750. So things have changed, but they're the same, really. I said, but I have a cell phone that costs $79. Oh, okay. I said, can I see your phone? He said, sure. He takes his phone. I said, I'm not going to use it. I just want to see it. And it was beautiful. I mean, it was probably one of these, he turned one in and got one kind of deal, right? Uh, and it was in a nice case. And it was very high. You know, it's great. Mine's got a cracked front on it. I put, you know, it's, it's all scuffed up. I keep it in my pocket. I'm supposed to put it, so I don't have any. So it's beat up. His is really pristine. Of course, he's in his 20s and that's cell phones are what cars were to me in my 20s, right? So you take care of that stuff. And I said, you see, and I took mine. I said, see the difference? He goes, well, yours is pretty beat up. I said, and yours is new. I said, but they both do the same thing, right? Essentially, I don't know why they call them phones because they're basic computers, but they both basically do the same thing. Would we agree on that? He goes, oh yeah, absolutely. I said, I can text, I can call you, I can take a video, I can take a picture, I go online, I got a calendar. So basically these things do the exact same thing. Yeah, they do. I said, so if mine works for me, why would you try to sell me yours? And he just kind of cocked his head and he said, listen, I really appreciate spending time with you today. And he just kind of turned on his heels and left. And that to me was the gist of it. If your phone works for you and you can make a connection to that which is bigger and greater than you, I think if you're secure in that knowing, not belief, but in that knowing, None of this other stuff threatens you. And so much of what I see in the world of people trying to convince other people to be different is because they're not secure in their own faith. They're threatened by other people. So you got to rally back against it. My God's better than your God. Okay. We have the same cell phone. They do the same thing. They just look a little bit different. And it was so interesting. It was literally within an hour after I watched that Inherit the Wind movie. Here comes this guy. And it was kind of my own version of of that same courtroom scene between Spencer Tracy and Frederick March. On one side here was this kid coming who had everything that he experienced out of a book. Not good or bad for me, just is. And here I was on this side saying, I've been able to free think all my life. And I've had so many rich experiences that I've said, that's got to have the mark of the, the Almighty here. There's got to be providence in this move. And I never had to go look at that. Now, that's not to say that I don't have respect for it. I have my aunt's Bible sitting clearly 10 feet away from me, which I refer to often as reminders. But the reminders aren't the popular reminders. They're the small ones like God is a spirit and comes to you in the truth of things. That you got to look for it. Or that the Holy Ghost 
you know, is there to, to help you uh, in times of need that you have to listen and be quiet and, and check that out. That's why I sign almost every book these days, go within and you'll never go without. Most people don't want to go within. We just live at a surface level. And that's fine unless it isn't. Never seen anything change that way. So maybe there's no huge takeaway point for this show today. I had these things on my mind. I think they're connected to some degree. You know, you have to make these adjustments when I go to the chiropractor to make my body feel better, put things back in alignment. It's easy for us to get off track. Not a train track like in 1829, but track in general. And you have to get that adjusted to, to feel better, to put things back in place. And to me, that's somehow connected to this belief systems that we all create in our lives. Uh, whether you think pulling a groundhog out is going to tell the weather or not, I can't help you there. Matter of fact, I don't know if you know this. I lived in the Upper Peninsula for 20 years, and the state animal of Michigan is a wolverine. And the whole concept of pulling a hairy mammal out of a hole and checking the weather started with these two guys, Eno and Toivo, who were a couple Finlanders up there in uh, the UP, I hate air. Back in 18, I think it was 1829, the same year that the whole train thing was going on. And one of the two brothers they're, thought they're going to pull this Wolverine out because that'll at least give him an idea. You know how long it stays winter up the UP? Like till June. So they pulled this Wolverine out of his burrow and they held it up by the tail. This is a 40-pound animal. Finlanders are pretty tough guys. They held it up there and they said, yeah, we got about six more weeks of winter, yeah, hey there. Well, the Wolverine, of course, turned around and took a chomp, and that was the end of his arm. That's why they moved over to the Groundhog, because, you know, you pull a Wolverine out, that's only going to work once. And by the way, that is a total bullshit story I made up years ago when I was on the radio, just to make a point. So listen, I hope you have a great day today. And it's a beautiful morning. The sun's starting to come up here. I appreciate you, especially, you know, it just occurred to me that I have people that subscribe to this podcast they plunk down 20 bucks a month, five bucks a week, 66 cents a day. Yeah, I figured it out. Uh, not only since this started, which was in 2017 or going into 2018, it would be almost, yes, yeah, 2018. But there are people who subscribe to this that started listening to me on the radio in the 90s. Can you believe that? It is just a sobering thought. Uh, there's probably a dozen or more of the subscribers to this podcast that have been listening to me and the stuff that I've put out into the world for over 20 years. I just find that fascinating and humbling. As I said, it's uh, it's a great thing. So thank you so much to the subscribers and uh, for making this all possible. I'm going to send you out with a little musical support from my friend, John Denver. Until next time, be well, safe travels, keep the faith.
fire and water 